Well, um, I am a, a fairly um, decent reader of all sorts of different books. I spend time, especially in my job, doing a bunch of reading, especially around what I'm going to be working on for the coming week or whatever's coming up as a church. But I am, I am nowhere near the kind of reader that my wife is. She's a voracious reader. She reads more than 100 books a year. And, um, and so she has this wealth of knowledge about great books to read. Um, and so if you're ever like, what should I read? You could talk to her. She's got a newsletter, the whole thing. But she has really set me on um, some great books. And I didn't realize until recently how much I love one particular genre of reading, and that is reading memoirs. And so uh, I've read a variety of memoirs. I've read a lot of World War II memoirs. Uh, I've read memoirs on athletes and celebrities and church leaders. And what I love about it is that no two story is ever the same, even if they're people that are experiencing the same event. You can read a memoir, for instance, about a World War II battle and have two completely different stories from people that were part of it. Uh, recently, uh, she set me on to Beth Moore's recent memoir. And uh, Beth Moore has been a leading female voice in the evangelical church world for decades. But in the last eight years, she has had a tough row after taking a stand on some issues within the church and had a bit of a fallout with the Southern Baptist Convention and all this. And listening to this story of hers drew me in as she sort of lifted back the veil on her life. Now, part of the reason that I've come to appreciate a good memoir is because it reminds me of how incredible a person's story can be. Unique in every way, the story of a person's life brings new perspective on what it means to be human. It reveals how we learn to survive chaos and disaster and rise from the ashes into newness. It shows the resilience and tenacity it often takes to move forward in life. But the biggest reason I love a good memoir is because stories are powerful. A good story is unmatched in our world. In fact, stories are so powerful, we're obsessed with them. We're obsessed with stories. We read them. We watch them. We tell them. We make them up. We scroll through them on our phones. We love a good story, which should make sense because our lives are built upon a story. They're built upon stories from generations before us and stories that we have walked and lived and lived and created who we are and what we have become. Now, unfortunately, in our modern 21st century, especially Western world, we have gotten and we haven't given enough credit to the power of story. I will even admit, especially in the church. In the church, for some reason, we like bullet points. Just tell me the truth. Just put it bluntly. We like propositions and statements more than we like a good story. We like these short, concise, straightforward answers that, quite honestly, leave a lot of room for interpretation. But what's interesting is that our Savior and our leader, the one that we come to worship, was far more interested in telling stories 
than giving straightforward answers. He was often very comfortable with telling a story that left people asking more questions than gaining the answers they wanted. He spoke often in what was called parables, which were these short stories laced with a truth or truths that people could glean by by resting in the story and listening to the story and interpreting the story that Jesus would tell. Instead of telling his listeners the, the three things they needed to know, Jesus would tell a story to help the listener be drawn in to what God wanted to reveal to them. And I believe he did this for two reasons. These aren't just my ideas. Scholars believe this as well. But there are two primary reasons why I believe Jesus used the power of story to tell people about himself and about God's plan for the world. And the first is that stories are just far more memorable, right? I mean, it's amazing the stories that you can remember from your past. It could have been 30 years ago. You could tell that story again like it happened yesterday. Our brains are equipped to remember stories more easily than simple facts. The combination of information and emotional experience in a story, it enables us to recall things more easily. But secondly, and I think even more importantly, that Jesus knew stories move us. They do something in us. Instead of Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, I suppose he could have said to everybody, God is a father who loves you no matter what, and walked away. But he doesn't. Instead, Jesus tells this beautiful, dramatic, tension-filled story of a father and a son that leave his listeners moved to turn their lives over to God. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us that our most powerful resource is our own stories, our personal memoirs, if you will. Those are those stories that have been being written with our lives since we breathed our first breath, the good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly, the peaceful and the chaotic. They are our most powerful resource. In fact, in Acts chapter 22, we're going to see the Apostle Paul share, and very briefly, his personal memoir before his haters in Jerusalem. So if you haven't done so yet, we're going to be back in the book of Acts. Grab your phone, open up the YouVersion Bible app, go to More and Events, and uh, you can follow along with our passage today. Or, as I mentioned, we're going to be in Acts chapter 22. Now, if you remember from last week, the Apostle Paul has once again landed himself in some hot water. Shortly after arriving in Jerusalem, after years of being gone from the city, he is recognized by some travelers who are there for the festival of Pentecost, and he is immediately falsely accused by these various Jews in Jerusalem who are there. And, and this mob is, is sort of created, and it's incited, and people start to yell things at, at Paul. And before he knows it, he's literally laying in the middle of the streets in Jerusalem in front of the temple being beaten to death for all of these false accusations and misunderstandings of who Paul is. Unfortunately, the Romans were watching this And they end up breaking up the mob, at least enough to get Paul out of there. They literally crowd surf him over the people and put him at the steps of the fortress right nearby 
the temple. And the Roman officer, he's trying to come up with some understanding of what just happened, right? Because we know from history, we know from the book of Acts that the Romans, they, they hated nothing more than incivility. They wanted, they wanted order. They wanted everything to be contained. And so this Roman officer wants to know what in the world is going on. He even misunderstands Paul for who he really is. And as they're conversing, Paul does something very curious, Instead of leaning over to this Roman officer and saying, hey man, I'm in big trouble. Could you help me find a way out of this place? Paul looks over to him and he says, would it be all right if I just say something to the crowds? That's not something I would have done in that moment, I don't think. I'd been like, let's, let's just uh, turn the temperature down on this situation a little. I'll go hang out in the fortress for maybe a few days and then maybe we'll figure out what to do next. But Paul... Paul understands he has an opportunity here before this crowd, not only to clear up some misunderstandings about who he is, but also, and most miraculously, to share his story, which he believes, and I think he's right, is the most powerful resource he has in that moment. That's where we're going to pick it up. As Paul steps to the edge of the steps, at the fortress, and he begins to speak to the crowds who are literally yelling at him, kill this man, kill him. Paul begins to speak. Acts 22, verses 1 and 2, he says, brothers and esteemed fathers, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, which would have been Aramaic, the silence was even greater it says that when he steps forward, that there was some silence that grew over, some murmuring. But when he began to speak, Luke records that the silence grew even greater. Can you feel the tension in the scene right now? I mean, these people are seething at the mouth to kill this man. And now he steps forward and he starts to speak in their native tongue. And it becomes completely silent. It becomes deafeningly silent. You can hear a pin drop, Luke says. And so Paul begins to make his defense. Verse 3, then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so, for I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. So if you know the story of Paul, his name was once Saul. And when Paul, before his encounter with Jesus, was a totally different person than he is in Acts chapter 22. Prior to Paul becoming a follower of Jesus, he was as nasty to those who were followers of Jesus as one could get. He went out of his way to get rid of any person who claimed Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as their Messiah. So in one respect, Paul gets why he's being attacked by the Jews in Jerusalem. He understands what's going on right now. In fact, he even says, I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. 
It's as if he's saying, look, I get it. I understand how you feel. I was once in the same place, but then something miraculous happens to Paul and things change dramatically. Verse six, he goes on. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. And I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. So Paul recounts this experience that he has on the road to Damascus, which is told first in Acts chapter 9. And his encounter with Jesus on his way to arrest more Christians changes the course of his life forever. It changes the trajectory of his story up until that point in a completely different way. From that moment on, Paul would no longer be the man that he once was. He would become, as he refers to in a letter he would write to the Corinthians, a new creation. And a new story would begin to be written with his life. And so he goes on, verse 11. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law, and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He he came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of your ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. Maybe you could say, telling everyone your story. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. All of this happens in a very short amount of time for the Apostle Paul. This is not occurring over days or weeks or months. It's happening within a very, very short amount of time. He goes from tracking down Christians to becoming one himself and being called to lead others to do the same. But it would not be met kindly by those who have known him previously, which he goes on to say in verse 17, after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness, Stephen, was killed. I stood by and kept the coats. They took off when they stoned him. Paul was ruthless in his pursuit of Christians before meeting Jesus. In Acts chapter 7, Paul stood by approvingly, likely giving the command to stone and kill one of the early church leaders by a name named Stephen. And since he won't be able to stay in Jerusalem because of his past, he's in Jerusalem now. He has this new found faith in Jesus, but everybody in Jerusalem, all the new believers in Jerusalem hate Paul, right? I mean, this guy, like how much can we trust Paul at this point? 
He's been tracking us down, killing us, stoning our friends. Now we're just supposed to accept him. And so he realizes, I can't stay in Jerusalem. I've got to go elsewhere. And so he's telling this story about how his life has been changed and some of the things that are occurring to those who, by the way, are still seething at their teeth to get rid of Paul. And so and since he won't be able to stay in Jerusalem because of his past, Jesus gives Paul a very unique mission, which he tells the crowds on that day. He says in verse 21, but the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And Paul has spent the last half of his life doing just that. Traveling the known world, telling people in Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi and Troas and Miletus about Jesus. He has started churches in dozens of cities. He's trained up leaders and taught about the greatness of Jesus. He has made an enormous mark on the world. But it's this mission that is most upsetting to the people listening. It seems like Luke's record of this storytelling that Paul has on the steps of the fortress, it seems like everybody is tracking with him. They're starting to get it. And then Paul says this one last thing about his story, that he was called to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And everything changes. Verse 22. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. It's interesting. They throw off their coats, which was exactly what happened when those Jews uh, stoned Stephen to death, approvingly by Paul. At the very end, they take off their coats and they lay him at the feet of Paul as a sign of we are rejecting this way of living. And the people that are listening to Paul now, as he tells his story, throw off their coats. They toss dust in the air as a way of saying, we reject everything you have just told us. Now, it's interesting because Paul mentions in this story that he tells that he was trained and mentored under Gamaliel in Jerusalem. Now, this man was an incredibly respected and highly touted teacher of religious law at the time. In other words, Paul admitted, in other places, Paul admittedly refers to himself as a Hebrew among Hebrews. He is highly educated and well-versed in all aspects of the Jewish law and customs. He knows the Old Testament from front to back. And prior to his experience on, of Jesus, with Jesus on the way to Damascus, Paul was on the rise to Jewish heights. He was in the rise within the Jewish ranks to become one of the great religious teachers and leaders of their time. He was considered the next leader of his tribe, the Pharisees. And so for all intents and purposes, Paul is the smartest guy in the scene when he steps to the stairs, the edge of the stairs to communicate to those who are in the crowd that day. In fact, we know Paul now as someone who would give us more, almost half of the New Testament and filled with God's wisdom. If anyone could give the right answer at the right time, it was Paul. And so isn't it curious 
that as Paul, this highly educated, well-versed, smarter than anyone else in the room or in the space that day, steps forward and he decides, I'm going to tell my story. It makes me wonder why. Right? I mean, he could have said anything. He could have said anything. He could have given a sermon on the fulfillment of the law in Jesus. After all, he would write about that. He could have made points about how Jesus is now the ultimate high priest. He could have talked about Jesus' sacrifice once and for all on the cross and how it's eliminated the need to follow Levitical sacrificial law. He could have made all sorts of incredible points about Jesus being the Messiah and the mission of God moving forward through him. But he doesn't do any of that. He just tells his story. He gives the crowds his memoir. He steps to the edge of the stairs and he says, this is who I was and this is who I am now because of Jesus. Why would he do that? I mean, in this most critical moment of his life and ministry, why just regurgitate a story that he's probably told a thousand times? Well, for one, Paul knows his story ultimately is all that he has. It's all that he has. There is nothing more true for Paul than what has occurred in his life. And because of that, Paul knows you can't argue a story. I mean, you can try. You certainly can try. But you really can't argue a person's story. Even if they're lying, you still have a hard time arguing it. Now, you can choose to reject it which is what the people will ultimately do. But you really can't argue a person's story. It's nearly impossible to argue with someone about the validity of their own story and experience. I mean, you could try, but you likely won't get very far. And Paul is saying, like it or not, this is my story. I was killing people for following Jesus, and then I encountered him personally and everything changed for me. That is as true as it gets for me, Paul says. But here's the other thing Paul knows about his story. He knows that someone is going to be in that crowd that day and be moved by it. Because he's seen it happen a hundred times before. For Paul, he knows it is highly likely that the thousands of people that are gathered there will reject his story. But if one person hears his story and is moved to take a step towards Jesus, well, then it was all worth it. And he knows what we now know, and that is that his story and your story is your most powerful asset. You know, people will often ask me, how do I share my faith with others? How do I tell people about Jesus? Or how do I talk with people about my faith? And my answer is always the same. Just tell your story. It's your most powerful asset. You know, we often stress ourselves out thinking we need to give these precise 
propositional answers, with biblical doctrine and theology. And don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place for that. But when push comes to shove, nothing is more powerful or more compelling than another person's story. It's why the psalmist writes in Psalm 102.18, he writes, let this be recorded for future generations so that a people not yet born will praise the Lord. He's saying, write it down. Tell your story because it is the most powerful asset we have about the truth of who God is and what he is doing in our, in our lives and in our world. Write it down. Tell the story so that people in the next generation will praise God themselves. The story of God and his people are what compel us to love and follow him. It was story that drew those first believers to Jesus. And it was story, the story of how God had changed their lives that they told over and over and over again, even in the most dire situations like Paul is in here, to just say, I don't know all of the answers, but I know one thing. I once was this way, and then I met Jesus, and now I am this way. And yes, I may not be the person I want to be, but I'm certainly not the person I once was. And nothing is more compelling than that story. It is a story that is thousands of years old and that the more it gets told, the, the life-changing power of Jesus on a person's life, the more the world will know who Jesus truly is. I mean, think about it. When a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, something supernatural happens in that moment. The story of a person's life, when they come to Jesus, it sort of melds together with the, the universal story that God has been telling since the beginning of time. All of you who have been, are currently, and will be merged with the redemptive story of God throughout history. And in the process, it goes from just another person's story to this supernaturally powerful story that can change the hearts of other people. So tell the story. It's your most powerful asset. You don't have to have all the answers. I promise you don't. You don't have all the answers. Neither do I. But we do have our story. So tell it. Tell of who you once were and who you are now. Allow the listener to be moved by its telling, and even if they choose to reject it or not like it, they'll never be able to argue it. Because it's yours. It's your story. It's melded with God's story in a supernatural way, and nothing can break that apart. I got to ask you, do you even know your story? Have you really thought about who you once were? And who you are today, if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of a Jesus, do you even know the story that God has been writing with your life? Could you tell it if somebody asked you today? If not, then I can't encourage you enough to go home today and to write it down. Type it out. Put it in your notes app. I don't know. Whatever it takes. To just think through it. Oh my goodness, if I think back to the life that I once lived, to who I am now, it is a story of absolute miracle. Absolute miracle. But do you know that? 
Could you tell someone if they were even curious? And I want to just speak to those who are here who maybe have yet to make that decision to follow Jesus. Let me just say that I believe that Jesus has you today because he is in the process of writing a new story for you. That one that you will be able to share for years to come. Like he did for Paul, he is still encountering people and writing a new story with their lives, making it there for them too, the most powerful asset they have. Stories of surrender to him. Stories of absolute redemption and change in their lives. And so this morning, if you're here and you sense God leading you to write a new story with your life, will you surrender to him? Allow him to do that work in you, to change you from who you once were, and to create in you a new heart, a new way, a new life. To grab hold of the most powerful asset you have as a believer in Jesus, the story that God has been writing for you and with you since you breathed your first breath. Let's pray. God, I, I am grateful for the simplicity of what Paul does in this story. I'm grateful that he doesn't get to the edge of the stairs and he doesn't start spouting off you know, a bunch of biblical verses and he doesn't give some sermon on Levitical law or something like that. He just he stands forward and he says, look, you can argue all that stuff, but, but this is what's true. This is what's happened to me. And, and I just got to tell you so that you know. I need to clear up all of the assumptions and the misunderstandings. I just need to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. And Lord, I, I know that the story tells us that the majority of the people there that day rejected it, but I got to believe, I got to believe that where there were people in that crowd that day who had no choice but to respond in faith to you. That as they looked upon the life of Paul, they didn't just see a guy and the work that he's been doing, but they saw the work that you'd been doing in his life. They saw the story that you had been writing with his life, and they were compelled to give their lives over to you. Lord, thousands of years later, we continue to tell our stories tell the story of how Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect life, died a sinner's death, rose again three days later to give us the hope of new and eternal life. And we tell the story of how that has been true in our lives over and over and over and over again. And to this day, you continue to use it as our most powerful asset in reaching the world. I pray, God, today that we would be reminded of the story that you've written with our lives, the story that you want to continue to write with our lives. And Lord, that when the opportunity presents itself, that we would not share, shy away from sharing it. God, that we wouldn't be stressed out by, I don't know if I have all the answers, that we'd be willing to just say, listen, this is what's happened. This is what has been true in my life. And Lord, that you would use that. You would use that in a powerful way in the lives of others. God, we thank you for Jesus who makes all this possible. That through the telling of his story, the telling of the truth of who you are through story, 
that God, we have been compelled to live and breathe and surrender to him. It's in his name we pray all these things.